I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians, the first chapter. You haven't heard uh, this calendar year me say anything except open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Uh, but we're taking a little bit of a break this summer for a few weeks, and we're going to be looking at Colossians, the first chapter, verses 15 and following. Now, let me say before uh, I read the scripture this morning how good it is to be back with you after some vacation time. Had a wonderful uh, General Assembly uh, conference of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship in Greensboro, North Carolina, then had some family time, uh, some vacation time, and it's uh, always good to get away to kind of refresh the brain and rest the brain from all the deadlines and the demands uh, and the sermon preparation, but it is so good to be back with you. And I'll tell you what I told the 815 uh, crowd, because it's true for you too, I think you're prettier and more handsome than I remember. I really, I really do mean that. You, uh, you are a great-looking group. It is wonderful to be back. And I, and I decided that, you know, what I wanted to talk to you about this morning uh, was my favorite subject, Jesus. Uh, we're not in the Gospel of Luke, and the lectionary reading for the epistles, for the letters of the New Testament, was a suggested reading from Colossians, and there is no passage of Scripture in the Bible that so highly and clearly lifts up Jesus to us uh, as, as this scripture that we're going to read. And I decided that my first Sunday back, I just want to talk to you about Jesus, and I want us to think together about Jesus. And as I read this scripture, I want you to think about two things, who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Look for those two things, who he is and what he's done for us. Colossians 1, 15 and following, I invite you to stand if you're able, and I'll read this aloud. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or power. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him All things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross." And you, who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to prepare you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. May God bless this word to our hearts. You may be seated. Well, in case you don't know this, you need to know it. The Apostle Paul was obsessed with Jesus Christ. He was in love with Jesus Christ. He was focused on Jesus Christ. His whole life was consumed by Jesus Christ. In fact, if you were to bring up any topic to the Apostle Paul, any dilemma, any argument, he would take that topic, that issue, that argument, and he would make a beeline for the cross. Think about any issue. Two church members not getting along, 
the Apostle Paul would make a beeline to Jesus Christ, who he is and all of his beauty and power, and what he has done for us in the cross. If there's a person weighted down with the load of sin, caught in a web of deception, filled with guilt, the Apostle Paul would make a beeline to Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he's done for us on the cross. If Paul senses that we're becoming a little bit self-righteous, and he feels like that we're getting a little too full of ourselves, he would simply make a beeline to Jesus Christ. He would point to Jesus' person, his beauty and his power, and his sacrificial, unselfish death on the cross, and he would work with it from there. Any issue, uh, an ethical dilemma, an argument about what's right in a particular situation, uh, guilt that's burdening our hearts, or struggling for an understanding of priorities in life and what direction your life ought to go, over and over again, the Apostle Paul always made a beeline to the cross, to the person of Jesus, and he dealt with it from there. You can safely say Paul was obsessed with Jesus. Paul was in love with Jesus. Paul was focused on Jesus. And if, and if Paul were to put the gospel in a, in a bottle, uh, in a medicine bottle, the label across it would say, Jesus Christ, good for what ails you. Because no matter what you're dealing with, what you're struggling with, it's all about Jesus. I like what uh, Eugene Peterson says uh, in one place, in one of the introductions to, uh, I think, the Gospels in his uh, uh, Bible translation, The Message, uh, and I'm paraphrasing him. He says, Jesus Christ is not just interesting. Jesus Christ is everything. That's true, isn't it? Jesus Christ isn't just interesting. He's everything. Jesus Christ isn't just an interesting personality, a, a, a quirky person in history. He's everything. And Paul wants us to get that from this scripture this morning. It might, might also interest you to know that the uh, Cairo symbol uh, is the earliest Christian monogram that we know about in, in Christian history. Uh, all three of those signify the Greek chi, which is what we would call X, and the Greek rho, which to us in the English language is a P, but those are the first two letters of Christ's name, Christos uh, in the Greek. The first two letters are chi and rho. That's the earliest Christian monogram. Uh, we might say the monogram on a shirt, the initials, or we might describe it as uh, a logo. It's, it's one of the early identifiers of a Christian and of their faith, and it shows you that the early Christians, too, were in love with Jesus and obsessed with Jesus and I like the one in the upper left-hand corner, the purplish one that has the circle around it. And that's the one that I chose to put on this morning's uh, Sunday bulletin cover because to me that pictures Jesus Christ at the center instead of at the margins and the exterior of our lives rather than at the circumference of the circle, at the center of the circle, the Cairo is there to say that Jesus is to be the center of our lives. Well... Barbara Brown Taylor, who uh, does a lot, a lot of writing and preaching, has said something interesting, I think. She, she's interested in this, this hunger for spirituality that's in American Christianity today uh, and an American religious movement, not just Christianity. She recognizes that there is this movement afoot that we've talked about before of being spiritual and not being religious. Um, and whatever that means, by the way, and it means something different to everybody. But she comments on the fact that there is this spiritual longing, there is this spiritual hunger, 
to connect with God, that there's this need to connect with the more, M-O-R-E, with capital M, the more. There's something more out there. There's someone more out there than just going to church, than just reading your Bible, than just serving on a ministry team or uh, on a church committee. There's something more. There is that more. And, and she goes on and says that uh, the more is not more about God, but more God. Our hunger is for more of God, not just knowing about Him, but knowing God. And with that in mind, I call your attention to verse 15, the very first verse that I read from Colossians chapter 1. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He, Jesus, is the image. The Greek word is icon. That word has come into our English language. Jesus is our icon. He is the representative for God. He is the the coin stamp of God's very reality. Anything we need to know about God, we may know in the fullness and the person of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said that Jesus is the mirror reflection of God's heart. I like that. Not the mirror reflection of God's face. People want to say, what does God look like? Not the mere reflection of his face, but the mere reflection of God's heart. You want to know how God feels about racial prejudice and hatred? Then look at Jesus. If you want to know how God feels about people who are marginalized and pushed to the sides and forgotten, then then look at Jesus. If you want to know what God thinks about sin, if you want to know how much God loves us, how much God would give up for us, then look to Jesus because everything we need to know about God we experience in Jesus. Jesus is the fullness of God's expression. And so again, like Eugene Peterson said, Jesus isn't just interesting, he's everything. I think you need to say that out loud with me. Repeat this phrase, Jesus Christ isn't just interesting. Jesus Christ isn't just interesting, he's everything. We could do that a little better. Say it with me. Jesus Christ isn't just interesting. He's everything. And that's true. That's what Paul is saying. That's what the early Christians were saying with the Cairo monogram. That's what we know in our truest selves when we're honest with Scripture, honest with God, and honest with ourselves. I'm also intrigued by this phrase that you perhaps heard me emphasize when I read the Scripture aloud. In verse 17b... In Jesus, all things hold together. In Jesus, all things consist, the old King James says. All things cohere. All things stick. Brooks sang about it in the song just before the message that Jesus is the center. Jesus is the one who holds life together. Now, I'll be honest with you. As I sort of take the pulse of people spiritually... Uh, in Jefferson City, in the community, as I read about how our culture is experiencing Jesus Christ. Um, I don't hear a lot of people being overwhelmed with guilt about their sins, not that they shouldn't be. I think a lot of rationalization has taken place. A lot of uh, justifying takes place. But people are not necessarily consumed with guilt today, not, not large batches of people. Nor do I lo- uh, run into a lot of people who are all worked up about eternal questions, about heaven and hell. I think partly because we're too comfortable in this world, we don't think much about the afterlife. But I do see one place where lostness is manifested in our culture and in the lives of people. 
And that's that sense of fragmentation, that sense of life having disparate parts that may be interesting and may be valuable, but no coherent whole. I hear people talking about spiritual malaise. I hear people talking about a lack of purpose in their lives, a lack of direction, a lack of meaning, a lack of of depth. There is this, this sense of fragmentation that we experience. The author G.K. Chesterton once described our world as being like a desert island. And he said, on that desert island, the wreckage from a ship begins to wash ashore. And fragments and relics and bits and pieces from a shipwreck begin to to come to the shore and begin to stick on the beach as, as the waves roll them in over a period of time. And a sailor awakens from a stupor, from a long, long sleep. And when he wakes up, he has amnesia. He can't remember where he's been. He can't remember where he's going. And he doesn't remember who he is. So he starts walking up and down the coast, picking up these unrelated fragments and relics from the shipwreck. A piece of clothing, a partial map, a compass, some gold coins, all of them important, but none of them telling the real overarching unified story, the coherent whole of who he is and where he's supposed to be. G.K. Chesterton said that our lives are like that. We're on this earth experiencing some of God's good things, some of those good things that still bear resemblance to their original purpose, but have been forgotten in the midst of our spiritual amnesia. And we experience those good things of God, but begin to misuse them because we can't figure out the coherent whole, how it all fits together. In the midst of that kind of spiritual amnesia and that kind of fragmentation, the Apostle Paul cries out this morning, In Jesus Christ, all things hold together. In Jesus Christ, all things cohere. All things stick. And there is meaning and purpose and direction to life because of Jesus Christ. We forget sometimes that the word religion, uh, in its earliest use, is from the word ligare or the word that created our word ligament, as in the ligaments and the tendons that stretch across our bodies, the, the, the tissuey parts that keep the bones connected, that keep the muscles and the organs in place so that the body is not just a crumple of bones and organs floating around, but in a coherent, coordinated whole. It's the ligaments. And so religion is re-ligamenting or rebinding into a whole that which has broken and that which has been fragmented and in pieces. Jesus Christ is that which binds us together. He's the one who brings life into that wholeness. Verse 20 out of the message reads uh, in a refreshing way as always, all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, 
His blood that poured down from the cross. All of the broken and dislocated pieces, people and things, animals and atoms, it properly fixed and fit together into vibrant harmonies. Jesus Christ is the one that brings meaning to life. Jesus Christ is the one that brings purpose and direction and and holds it all together, helps it make sense. Jesus is the cosmic superglue that just makes it all stick and makes it all work. Because, remember, Jesus Christ isn't just interesting. He's what? He's everything. He's everything. Now, the Apostle Paul, as Paul liked to do, shifts gears. Paul likes to do that. He does it a lot of places. He moves from the general in verses 15 through 20 to the specific in verses 21 through 23. He moves from the nosebleed section of the cosmos, the lifted up, high, exalted, cosmic Christ, and then he moves down into the gritty, earthy, sweaty, bloody, real life of that cosmic Christ giving up all of his privileges and giving up his life for us on the cross. Paul moves from the absolutely heavenly spectacular to the mundane, the ordinary, and the daily. And here's a sad truth. You ready for this? It's a sad truth. Evangelicals, some of us, some of us evangelicals, some of us Baptists, some of us followers of Jesus, are doctrinally pure and ethically filthy. We are doctrinally pure. We would fight to the death anyone that denies the deity of Jesus Christ. We would defend what the Apostle Paul says about Jesus being co-creator with God, about Jesus having a place of preeminence in the universe. We would argue to the death the the, uh, virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the doctrinal truths about Jesus Christ, but ethically, at a daily level, our lives are a train wreck. Our lives are dirty. We're not living for the Lord. We're not honoring God with our attitudes. We're not honoring God by the way we treat our loved ones. We're not honoring God by the way we relate to our community or our neighborhood. We're not honoring God by our thought life. And it's so easy to make that separation, to think that if all of our doctrines are pure, everything's okay. But the Apostle Paul, like Jesus, is always calling us to the mundane and the daily to the business of living. Paul describes it very, very well in verse 21. He says, You were once estranged, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Do you see the progression? Estranged, cut off from God, that's a condition. Hostile in mind, that's a mental attitude, an attitude that says to God, I don't need you, God. I'm doing just well. I'll let you know if I need something. I can handle my life by myself. Alienated, hostile in mind, which leads to evil deeds. It begins with a condition, and then a state of mind, and then it shows itself in action. Paul says the only solution to that is that the Savior and the Lord of the cosmos died on the cross so that we might be reconciled miraculously transformed 
from enemies of God to friends of God. That through Jesus, we might be transformed from enemies of God to family of God by the miracle of Jesus who gave everything for us. What does this mean in daily life for each one of us? It means that Jesus Christ is above all, but it also means that Jesus Christ is deeply inside everything that happens. He's not just Lord over the cosmos. He's Lord deeply invested in the cosmos. He's in every conversation. He's in every relationship. He's in every home. He's in every job-related situation. He's in every social relationship. He's in every hobby. He's in every public policy issue. He's in every community. He's in every piece of our lives. He's Lord of all, but Lord in all, in every situation. Had a man say to me recently, he said, Pastor, I've lost my spirituality. We explored that a little bit, and the truth is that this poor man has been fighting disease and sickness for so many years. He's been cut off from the church. He can't come here. Uh, because of illness and struggles, he, he got out of the habit of daily Bible reading time. He's discouraged. He feels all alone. And he says he's lost his spirituality. We explored that a little further and thought a little more about what Jesus Christ has done for him and who Jesus Christ is. And then I smiled and said to this man, aren't you glad that we're not saved by our emotions? Aren't you glad that we're not saved by how we feel toward God on any given moment? You see, Jesus is Lord when things are going well in our lives, but Jesus is Lord when things are going terribly in our lives too. Jesus is Lord when we're getting it right, but Jesus is Lord when we're messing it up terribly. Jesus is Lord when we have given up on hope, when everything seems dark and nothing is going right, and we feel like we're at the end of ourselves and there's no place to turn. Jesus Christ is still Lord. And nothing, no one will ever change that. And so this Jesus that Paul is so crazy about, obsessed with, and in love with, this Jesus is the very presence of God. It's through Jesus that God may be known. It's through Jesus that God may be trusted. We may bank our lives on Him. It's through Jesus that we may experience hope and meaning and direction. Because you see, we don't need more than Jesus. We just need more of Jesus. Because remember, Jesus Christ isn't just interesting. Let me hear you say it. He's everything. He's everything. He's everything. Let's pray.